Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy-Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums, from the writers to the producers, and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like where did your band name come from and who's your favorite Friends character. We're asking questions like why did your marriage fail? Where does love come from? Is God real? It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passions. And we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable. So check it out right here on Rock Candy and your favorite podcast app. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. And I'm Donald Geffey. I'm here with the one and only, the fabulous, the beatific, Pentecostal heretic, Donald Guffey. Welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are one of audience's favorite co-hosts. Seriously. Yes, they love you. <laughs> it's a, it's, I often wonder... Yeah, it's like, do they just can they handle me just meandering on like I do? I I think they can. You meander very well. <laughs> okay, well, so I am a non-theist, and Donald is a theist, and we a comma theist, a, not an atheist. <laughs> you, no, you're not an atheist. <laughs> you're a theist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Donald had the idea to to sit down and just talk about that. We both call ourselves Christians. We are also both very non-conventional Christians. You know, I think a lot of more traditional Christians would see us both as flaming heretics. Both of us would totally be burned at the stake together. Burn, baby, burn. Yes, we would both be burned at the stake together centuries ago. So, you know, we have that in common. So uh, this is a friendly conversation about non-theism and theism. So... I don't really have anything planned for this conversation. We don't really know how it's going to go. But, you know, the internet is so fraught with unkind conversations about faith and belief and religion and atheism that, you know, we wanted to kind of offer a a better alternative to that. And so Donald is one of my best friends. We continue to be best friends. Most of my friends are theists, actually. And so and we get along just fine. Believe it or not, it can happen. Oh, of course it can. <laughs> so, yeah. um, You're easier to get along with than most other Christians that I know. Well, so, I, mean. <laughs> I appreciate that. So how about, so I don't really know where to go with this. So Donald, if you have questions or if you, if, or if you want to kind of start this, then go for it. Yeah, I, my idea, because I know that one of the things that you wanted to do with this podcast in the new year was to sit down with people that disagreed with you in one degree or another to... Yes. Uh, kind of hash things out and the only thing that I could think about and you know that I don't know how this is going to end because we may come to the conclusion that we agree more than we disagree we, we, I'm I'm kind of suspecting that we will. Uh, I'm know, kind of suspecting that we'll agree more I, I think the whole theism non-theism is just a matter of semantics really a but, lot of it is uh, you know but at the same time I've also come across other uh, talking heads on the internet that are not 
kind to theists. But and, and no, you know, to be all. fair, there's a lot of theists that are not kind to non-theists. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> kind know. of a tribal war that just never ends. Yeah, and but I think the thing that really gets me, I think, and uh, actually, I'm going to reach behind me. I'm live in the studio. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh, and get my in phone my make in my makeshift studio. And I have screenshot some things that I came up with. There is a one of my favorite speakers who is is definitely a theist, but is very is not traditional. She is not a Christian. Oh, who is it? Uh, Marianne Williamson. Okay. Oh yes. Wait. Yes, she wrote um, a return to love. A return to love, yeah, yeah, and which is a reflection on a course, a in course in Mir- miracles, a course yes. in miracles, and uh, which is a book that it, that was allegedly channeled by a woman who, for all accounts, was an atheist. I mean, she was very much mm. in the science community and did not expect this kind of thing to come to come about. Mm. It's a it's a spiritual book that uses spirit that uses Christian language but uses it in radically different ways. And Marianne Williamson it became a student of that book and continues to be to this day. And among among her among her accomplishments, she is like the main spiritual mentor to Oprah Winfrey. Mm. So, and she's making a bid for the twenty twenty election. Is she really? <laughs> And, uh, you know, and her views on politics and especially how she she has she is able to separate the ideas of democracy from capitalism, Mm. that they're not the same thing. Right. And that she also interprets the kind of new agey guru ish type spirituality that she does Mm. uh, into her campaign. She's she's one of my favorites for the win. Mm. Uh but I was watching an interview that she did with the Young Turks. Yes. And the host of the Young Turks was very gracious, very wonderful. And Chank. Chank, yes. And he, I was, uh, but when I went, as is normally the case. Oh, no. Oh, you you looked at the comments. I looked at the comments. <laughs> and let me see if I can pull that up. So automatically you get well. First of all, the guy's screen name is speaking truth to stupid. So yeah. oh, good. You know, he says that's a hard pass from me. We do not need more religious lunacy in government, and people. So there's tons of things basically saying if you believe in a higher power other than what's in this material world, that you are unable to think critically that you're unable to right. have any that basically you cannot be an intelligent person yeah if you are some t- sort of theist right yeah i've run across that too you know i've i'm an avid reader of the blog friendly atheist and i like a lot of their content but one of the things that it occasionally comes up is saying you know if you hear the voice of god in your head that's mental illness and i'm probably taking that way out of context I, I hope and expect that there is more nuance there that I'm not seeing, but that's not true. People have heard the voice of God who are perfectly sane for as long as humanity has been in existence. It is a natural part of being human. It doesn't mean you're insane. He, con- connecting with the divine 
is part of what makes us human. It isn't something that makes us ill. You know, it can lead to some very, very scary consequences. The you know there is a, a there is a kind of pathological religion that can become very destructive. But the, but but feeling the presence of the divine of what we call the divine feeling the presence of the supernatural or or feeling like you're hearing god's voice that is not mental illness that is just an aspect of what it means to be human if it's a, a mental illness we all have it yeah exactly if it's a mental illness we all have it i mean yeah you know, so i i run into that kind of stuff all the time and i think that's one of the the disconnects that i have that i feel like is maybe improperly uh leveled toward those of us that are theists from those that are not. Because I don't look at somebody like Bill Maher or Richard Dawkins and say, that's a stupid person. No, never. You know... <clears throat> quite a, the opposite. A, a very mean-spirited and <laughs> and not nice person, yes, but very intelligent. I mean... Absolutely. You, you know, but, at the same, but then they look at me and they're like, they see that one aspect of my life and they're like, you're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something wrong with you. You know, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life are theists. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Wesley Hill, author of Washington Waiting, who I've had kind of an ongoing conversation with for the past, you know, several years on and off on Twitter and, and whatnot. He's a genius. Um, I was friends with Matthew Vines. He's a genius. You know, James Brownson, who I who I knew for a while, is a genius. I, I interviewed a guy named Michael Corrin. He's up in Canada. And just absolutely brilliant. And so it, it it isn't a matter of intelligence. And while I think most intelligent atheists wouldn't say that about other people of faith, about people of faith, you know, I I hear, you know, I do hear a lot more nuanced arguments from from atheists, but there is that assumption kind of in the culture at large. There there it comes out loud and clear, maybe by a minority, maybe by a majority. I don't know. I don't have numbers for it, but it definitely comes through that people of faith are just idiots, just stupid. And some are. Some are. <laughs> I know, also know some really thick-headed atheists, you know. <laughs> like, so I get so so there's that, but I and I think probably what will be good at this point is a clarification of terms. So my que my first question to you is why do you choose the term non-theist as opposed to atheist or agnostic? Right. So I really like the term non-theist. I'm still developing my ideas on this. So so this is not me giving a definitive answer. This is me kind of art working articulating the stuff that I've been thinking about. So I think that you know one thing I I deeply dislike the connotation of atheist and and that's just personal, you know. Uh, I know that there are also people who deeply dislike the connotation of Christian, and and therefore don't prescribe, you, you know, don't use that term. And I respect that, even though I still still use the term Christian to describe myself. So it's so th it's a very personal thing. It isn't saying that all atheists are bad, <laughs> but for me personally, I find that I have more more margin to work through stuff if I use the word non theist. Non theism for me 
is a lack of concern over whether there is a God or not. So basically for me, non-theism is this openness, open-handedness to whatever the universe is. And I can still practice religion. I can still practice my religion regardless of whether there is a God or not. You know, and and, and so non-theism is very often connected to religious movements. Buddhism is a non-theistic religion, yeah. for example. There are certain Quakers who are non-theistic. Taoism is non-theistic. And so the reason, and, and the Satanic Temple is non-theistic. And so the reason why I like the term non-theism is because it allows the margin for me culturally and personally, just psychologically, to still be a deeply religious person while also saying, you know, saying, hey, I don't believe in a personal God or I don't know if there's a personal God. I think, you know, if I had to, if I had to choose between the term atheist or agnostic, I would have to go with agnostic. I, I don't know. And I'm very comfortable with that not knowing, but I'm still very much a religious person. I still have religious practices. I still experience the person of God, even, even though I don't know if he exists or not. And, and so that to me is more non-theist. One of my favorite thinkers on this subject is Science Mike. And Science Mike is a really good articulator of non-theism. What he says in an interview with Bart Campolo on his show, Ask Science Mike, he said that his goal is to erase the line between theism and atheism. And that erasing of the line is non-theism. Non-theism is subtly different from atheism for me. And, you know, uh, in another live show he did, he described it really well, where he said, the left brain is reductive while the right brain is holistic. So what he, and he said, you know, he was on the stage and he said, I look at this chair and the left brain says, I see cloth, I see staples, I see wood, carved at certain angles, put together. And then he said, my right brain sees a chair. And so there is this reductive and holistic side of the brain where I live in the tension between these two sides, where my left side of the brain sees the theory of relativity, sees particles, sees quantum physics, sees orbital movements of the planets, sees, you know, dark matter, whatever the hell that is, sees, you know, the, the components of the universe and, and sees the scientific method and sees the processes by which we understand truth, whereas the right side of my brain sees God. And so my understand and, and, and so I can still live in that tension where I can still pray to God and exist in that right-sided part of my brain. But then I can also move into the left side of my brain, which sees reduction, which, which reduces things down to their component parts. And and living in the tension between those two is is healthy for me and you know and so i think my personal theology would be much more like that of einstein <laughs> or uh carl sagan where you know this sense of the divine is are the material principles that govern this universe yeah. are the the laws of physics that govern this universe and this awe this wonder at ultimate reality Right. Whatever it is. I love the idea of God, and I still use the word God, but I don't use it in a personal God sense. I, I, I think I love, um, Paul, I think it was Paul Tillich who said that God is the ground of being, yeah. and I am 100% down yeah, with exactly. that definition of God. Yeah, and I think... <sighs> This is the problem when you when you when you use a word to blanket a lot of people. I'm not a classical theist, right? As a, and and by that I mean the idea that you have two separate bubbles. Here's God. Here's you. Here's mankind, the material world, everything. Neither the twain shall ever meet. Right. You know mm -hmm. that God is this 
um, holy other unmoved mover type deal, mm. uh, which is kind of the Calvinistic way of looking at things, and even the West and even the Armenian way to a, a, a lot, a large degree, the classically Christian way of looking at it that God is wholly other than us. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if I had to say where I am right now, I kind of ping right in between panentheism and pantheism. Okay, so so I know what pantheism is. I'm not clear what the definition of panentheism is. Okay, so it's just... A, Justin has talked a lot yeah, about panentheism. It's just slightly different. Okay. That, so pantheism is the idea that all is God. Mm. That there is one bubble, and got both God and the universe, the material world, humankind, everything is all within the bubble. Yeah. Okay. Panentheism is the same thing, except that not only does God exist in the bubble, God also exists outside of the bubble. Got it. Okay. So there is an otherness to God, but everything that we know is God. Exists. So the best way I know is the, <clears throat> to describe it is this. We're away. We as humans, the universe, what have you, is a wave in the ocean. We're part of the ocean, but we're not the ocean, the yes. whole of the ocean. The ocean is God. Got it. So while we exist within God, God also exists by her or itself, mm -hmm. you know, and I teeter between the two. Okay. So it's, I definitely believe in a personal relationship with the divine. Mm. I'm fully on board with like what, like you said with Paul Tillich, that God is the ground of all being. Yes. That God is all that there is. Yes. And we're part of that. Yeah. So therefore, me and a classical theist would would clash over the term supernatural. Okay. And now I was raised Pentecostal. Yeah. You know, and there was a lot of talk about the supernatural world. Mm. You know, angelic realms, things that we can't see. And I do, to a degree, still believe in those things. Sure. But I wouldn't call them supernatural. Right. Because supernatural i mean what does the very word supernatural mean it means above nature it means above nature and that there's no such thing there is no such thing you know sorry. but to yeah, say that on. at the same time is to i believe that everything that god has created mm. is part of his natural order yeah. or her order their so, order their order so for like miracles to, do i believe in the possibility of miracles absolutely but I don't believe they're supernatural. I believe there are occurrences that happen within the divine of which we are all part. Right. And nothing ex nothing exists. God may exist outside of us, but nothing, but we do not exist outside of it. Right. So, I like that. You know, so nothing that exists inside of God can be anything other than divine. Yeah. So, you know, the the Quakers and people that that say there's a spark of divinity yes. within us all, I definitely believe that. Yeah. You know, the wave in the ocean metaphor comes from the New Thought movement, and they, they use a common adage, I guess is the word for it, that God is in and out and through me as me. Mm. You know, so... Every human being and everything around us is an emanation mm. of the divine. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, and this is where I depart from classical Christianity, I believe all religions are valid. I believe that what we call the divine answers to whatever you call it. 
Sure. So I believe that encompasses both monotheism and polytheism Mm. and whatever other theisms there are, Mm. you know. And so do I believe that Jesus is divine and the Son of God? Yes, I do. But I also believe Buddha was. Yeah. You know, and I'm not opposed to thinking, you know, I'm not opposed to the idea of reincarnation either. So the idea that they're the same person, (laughs) you know. That 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 divine that the divine interacts with us in an incarnational level in different existences throughout the ages. Mm. You know, I I think it's totally within my framework. So, and this is the type of theism I don't think that. Okay, so I have a hard time separating atheism and agnosticism from just anti-Christianism, douchebaggery. Yeah. You know, I totally get that. It's, I don't think they even, they never engage in anything other than classical theism. Yeah. You know, so. Which I don't agree with myself. I, yeah, yeah. I have some thoughts on that. I think one of the issue, I think, okay, so I think that there are several points to cover. There are a lot of unsympathetic uh, atheists, and I've encountered a lot of them on my blog who are just douchebags mm-hmm. and who don't have a respect for how painful these conversations can be for people. And that's something that I really wish there was more aware of. Like, okay, look, you might be right. You are making good points. This is not to you. This is to the theoretical atheist. I'm, spe- I'm thinking of several people in, in particular who, I, who, who I've talked to. And, I'm, and this goes for Christians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, okay, you make good points. A little more gentleness and kindness is necessary because requesting, you know, challenging someone's worldview is simply one of the most frightening and painful things that, that you can do. And I need you to understand that I'm losing my faith or, or my faith is changing. And it's like watching my grandmother die all over again. It is painful, and I need you to have more respect for that. I need you to be more gentle. No matter how wrong you believe I am, I need you to understand just how painful this is. And there's a lot of people who just do not have that sympathy. Um, I think another issue is that, you know, Christianity is the dominant religion in our culture. And because of that, I, I think a lot of a lot of atheists pinpoint Christianity as as the thing to attack. And and yeah. so they're kind of on the attack towards Christianity because Christianity is the dominant religion of our culture. Yeah, because with the exception of Bill Maher and Dawkins, and they're starting to now, but, you know, so they do actually go at Islam as well. But you hardly ever hear an atheist interact with a hin- with Hinduism or Buddhism yeah. or Yeah. It, it's almost always Hinduism. It's it, or, or it's almost always the monotheistic religions. It's almost never, you know, the more, you know, to us in the western world, the more esoteric religions. And yeah, I I get frustrated about that. And I think so and then this is something that I remind myself, or, or this is something that I find myself bringing up quite often, is atheism, despite whatever perspective, you know, despite, you know, it, the stereotypes surrounding atheism, some of them are earned on the internet. Atheism really only means not believing in a god. So there's a huge margin of belief within there. So within that. So for example, you know, we tend to assume that atheism means materialistic a materialistic worldview that isn't 
necessarily the case. You know, there are a ton of atheists who still read their horoscope and and believe it. There are a ton of atheists who believe in astrology. You know, I I can't count the number of times that I've talked to someone and they're like, oh, I'm an atheist. And then in the next breath, they're like, yeah, I was trained by a shaman. And you know, I, I studied with a shaman really closely, and, and so they still believe in supernatural powers. So is what they're really saying is, I'm not a Christian. Um, I think what they're saying is they don't believe in, in a personified higher power with a personality. So, uh, you know, okay, so for example, Anton LaVey, founder of, the Church of Saint, founder of the Church of Satan back in the 60s, 50s and 60s, wholesale reject the idea of God, but they still believe in magic. You know, the Church of Satan still believes in magic with a K, with a CK. So, you know, one thing that I often find myself bringing up is that atheism, despite its its materialistic reputation because of people like Dawkins and Sam Harris and Dennett and all those guys, that isn't necessary that doesn't necessarily follow on the ground. You can be an atheist and still believe in the supernatural or believe in magic the way Anton LaVey, or yeah, the way Anton LaVey did, or you can be like my friends who are atheists and are shamans. So so atheist is is a much more broad term than I think we in our popular, we in our discourse tend to acknowledge. Yeah. And I get that because, you know, shocker here, people. I if I if you had to pin a label on me, I would at this point identify as a Christo pagan. You know, I I believe in magic and you know the the astro- astrology and mm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Reiki practitioner and you know and I think that maybe as a Reiki practitioner that gives me more of a place to start with in that the main tenet of that is that everything is energy which is something and I'll bring this up to that the magisterium as you call it the magisterium of science is mm. catching up with mm. you know and that it, quantum physics and things like that are starting to show. Mm. And it's that energy that holds everything together that we call Reiki, or universal life force energy. Mm. And it's it's that energy which causes nature and the body to regula- to re-regulate and to heal itself. Mm. And that's what we believe we are working and we are channeling for people. Mm. That that do that does that. And I per you know and. The more that I've read on paganism and magic, it's basically saying the same thing, that through the power of intention, yes, we're altering the energies around us to yeah. do to to formula to bring about a certain result. Mm. Okay? That's no different than what prayer is. Exactly. You know, you as, know. as magicians are all... So, by the way, I'm a huge fan of, of magic with a CK. I'm a big fan of chaos magic. I don't necessarily... And, and, you know, maybe for some unexpected reasons, but I do practice chaos magic. And that's a whole other episode. Mm. <laughs> we probably don't have time to get into that. But, you know, as a lot of magicians are want to say, you know, Christianity has some big magic going on. Like oh, the yeah. mass, the mass is magic. The mat that that ritual, that focusing, the the priesthood, like that is totally magic in the Western esoteric sense of the word. And on a non-esoteric way, it's really just we're affecting an energetic change. 
mm. you know, in the atmosphere around us. That when you get, you know, as a Pentecostal who who is very much into ritual and to liturgy, which is not the norm, but as opposed to like a Roman Catholic who would believe in straight up transubstantiation in the Mass, where it is through the priest's ritual doings that makes the the bread and wine, literally mm. the body, the blood, body, soul, and divinity of Christ. Pentecostals, I think, are kind of that are coming to a sacramental view, kind of hit at what I'm talking about, where it's the community together mm. and through the Spirit, right, that enacts Christ coming present. Mm. So, it, in a in a lot of ways, my Pentecostalism has set me up to be more pagan, shamanic, mystical. Yeah, uh, especially the form that I grew up in, which was a very particular uh, Appalachian. I, I challenge anybody to look up Appalachian Pentecostalism on YouTube and watch how we worshipped, mm. and then look up a shamanic ritual. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so similar. Very. I mean, I, I think the that... Dr- right down to the drum beat. Yeah, I think that Pentecostalism is definitely kind of a, a form of shamanism. It, it most certainly is. So, so, so not only am I a non-theist, I'm also predominantly a materialist. So I'm... So I'm wondering if you have any questions about that. Like I what do. what so like what questions just about what I believe. So I've heard you say several times on yes. on episodes about how you can't go beyond what the magisterium of science yes. says. And the things that have come to my mind about that is but the magisterium of science is constantly making new discoveries. Absolutely. You know, so if we go by that my thought is okay, this is the thought that came to mind. Say we lived a hundred years ago. Or yes. so. I'm not sure the exact timeline, so don't come for me, people. <laughs> if we sat here and had the same conversation and said, I cannot go beyond the mas- the magisterium of science, mm-hmm. we wouldn't believe in germs. That's true. Well, I-, I would say go back more like 300 years. 300 years, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. true. We wouldn't or believe in germs, or we wouldn't believe in evolution. In, in evolution. Or, or quantum physics. Or quantum physics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so... I, I don't know what the question is there. It's that... Talking to the mic. So in there you my, go. Yeah, so in <laughs> my mind, a miracle is when something happens that we just don't have an explanation for yet. Yeah. So somebody having cancer one day, one doctor appointment, they're eat up with cancer. Mm. They go to the next appointment, they have no cancer at all. Yeah. You know, medical science cannot explain how that happened. Yeah. They don't know. They will tell you they don't know. Uh, you know, so the ma- in that sense, the magisterium of science can't say what happened. Absolutely. Whereas if you look beyond the magisterium of science into the into like let's not even go into christianity go into shamanism yeah go into reiki mm. go into where we just say and the course in miracles will actually say that a miracle is a shift in perception mm. so where they they like shamanism for example and paganism has thousands of years of talk on a theoretical level of how things can just shift and flow based on a person's intention, a person's will to live, Mm. you know, a person's life force energy Mm -hmm. that has affected a change in their body Mm -hmm. that has caused a healing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's something that, you know, that's something that comes up a lot is so, but, but science itself is limited. And that's absolutely true. I think 
so the way I see it is I think of science, I think of the magisterium of science, you know, what I often say, I can't go beyond the magisterium of science or, or in the words of, you know, in, in one of the tenets of the satanic temple, belief should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. By the way, for people who are super confused about the Satanic Temple thing, uh, I've done episodes on that. It really isn't nearly as scary as you think. Go listen to my interviews with Greg Stevens about that. So science is a less of a set of claims. It, it isn't a set of claims. It's more a process. It is a method. And so science is, is more a method of how we know things to be true. And and yes, that method is constantly refining, and it and that method is constantly refining what we know. I think that the process of science is one of the best ways that humanity knows what is true and what is not true. So science is not a noun, it's a verb. It's a noun. Yeah, exactly. It's a verb. At least that's how I see it. And and it produces claims, it produces statements about the world. But those statements are always subject to revision. Right. Those statements are always being refined by the method of science. Right. So, I mean, you take a Christian tenet like the virgin birth. Exactly. You know, where you can a woman can get pregnant without the assistance of a man. Mm-hmm. Science has figured out a way to do that, at least in one way. Yes, that's true. You know, you still require the sperm. But and you still require, you know, modern technology yeah. and, and whatnot. But... And, but, you know, at the same time, and I guess this is where we agree as a, on a non-theistic level, is that, like, do I believe the virgin birth? Yeah. Okay. Do I care whether it happened or not? No. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, when I say that science is a method, basically what that means is I can have trust, you know, as, as far, okay, let me, I have a lot of thoughts here and I'm trying to order them. Science is a method and I can have quite a bit of confidence in the method because I think its track record shows that it is that it is a self-correcting mechanism that can reveal us extraordinary things about the universe and how they work. Absolutely. You know, and and I think that it is so far the best way we have to understand the world around us. With that said, I think that the th- there's a difference between Oh, okay. So I think that there are some some differences here. I think people see science as a set of claims because religion is very often a set of, at least Western religion. You know, Western Christianity is very much a set of claims. That isn't always true of religion. Religion itself is also very much a process very often. So like I think of Buddhism, very much a process. But you know, as we understand religion, it is very often a set of claims. And then we tend to kind of put that on to science and say science is a set of claims as well. We want to make science a religion. We want to make science a religion. And that is not necessarily true. You know, science is a set of, of methods that help us understand what is true. And so, you know, for example, you know, is it is something falsifiable? Is, you know, has it been peer reviewed? Has it been? And and there's kind of this process from hypothesis to testing to theory to you know, it's to, its own form of magic, and then really. repeat. Yes, it's a it's a form of magic, and so in with in light of that, I find it best to to have open handed agnosticism to mystery. 
You know, and, and so one of the things that I do think can happen is we are confronted with the mystery. And, and this is what Joseph Laycock, who I, I did another interview with him recently. He's one of my favorite thinkers. Absolutely love him. And I did an interview with him about demon possession, where he studies the, the social and, and psychological phenomenon of demon possession. And, and I asked him, well, do you believe in demons? And he said, well, this is where I need to bring up uh, epistemological humility. And he said, you know, I don't know. He said, I think, and, and what I gleaned from the conversation is that there are certain, you know, a lot of demon possession has been debunked. At, at the same time, he said that the case that the movie The Exorcist is based on, that William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, kind of was inspired by, it was a young boy. And there are reports from that where he's like, I have no idea what happened. I have no clue what happened. And for me, it's best to say, I don't know that a mystery is a mystery yeah. rather than the mystery is a demon. Well, and it that could, has it precedent. could be a demon. Yeah, and that has precedent in religion too. Is it does. A healthy theology embraces mystery. Exactly. And exactly. There, like there are th- like like I said with the virgin birth. Do can I say for 100% certainty that it happened? Absolutely not. Is it a beautiful story either way? Yes. Absolutely. Do I still see Mary as a divine being? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, probably more than God, which could be problematic. But that's, uh, you know, and that's to say that, you know, so I work with various names. So mm. my Christian side, I, that's my mother tongue. That's what I use, Me too. as you do. You know, but I still, in Reiki and stuff, we have the idea of the gods. Mm. And that can be anybody. And oftentimes, I, and we know that we don't think of gods so much as deities as we do energies. Sure. So... Like what I would call Bridget, mm. you know, the Celtic goddess of the hearth and the home. Okay. Is the same energy as Vesta or Hestia, as various Hindu goddesses. Mm. You know, it's not the name or the specific deity, it's the energy that comes forth. Yes. So in that sense, I work with a lot of different deities. Yeah. So it, and also speaking of demon possession, I'd love to mentioned this to Jason, there is that concept in in Reiki, too. You mean Joseph? Joseph. Yeah. In Reiki, where we do talk about removing entities. And what we say that they are, and I love this so much, is that, speaking of energies, like the various energies that we give names to, they would say, in Reiki thought, we would say that a demon, for lack of a better word, I don't particularly like the word, but we'll go with it, is this ne- is this negative energy that we harbor somewhere in our body mm. through trauma through um, whatever that caused it that caused it to be there and we allow that to fester and fester and fester and you know stay just grow there like a cancer mm. to the point that it personifies yeah so so it's like a tulpa it's, it's like, like a, a tulpa yeah, yeah. and that's what we work with. To So even with that, so what an exorcism is to a Reiki person is simply what any other Reiki healing is, and that is to, is to channel that self-regulatory, you know, self-healing energy mm. to that area to clear that out. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're casting out a demon mm. as much as we are depersonifying a person's pain mm. <laughs> and clearing it out and allowing it to clear through. So I think, so I I have two thoughts here. One is I think that 
when I'm presented with a mystery, and I'm presented with mysteries all the time, some, you know, a lot of people will say, will jump in and say, well, don't you automatically think that that's God? Isn't that just obvious? And I'm like, well, I think it's obvious. I think it makes intuitive sense, but I think it's better to withhold the judgment. When a miracle happens, or, or when something unexplained and, and mm-hmm. seemingly paranormal happens, when people have UFO sightings or whatever, or, or, you know, all kinds of weird shit happens, like people report weird shit, I think that whatever is going on there, A, is a mystery, and B, is fascinating and needs to be explained. I want to know what's going on there. Yeah. When people see apparitions, which they do, I want to know what's going on there. I think the the most, for me, the most reasonable thing to say is... I don't know what's going on there because I think saying I don't know is actually a better doorway into finding out what's true. Yeah. Rather than inserting a a uh, a a pre-existing belief into it. You know, and and so that's why I say I can't go beyond the magisterium of science. I can't go beyond the method of science. Be- and that isn't to say that I think science has has explained everything. Ninety nine percent of the universe is made up of dark matter, we and dark energy. And we have no idea. We what have that no is. idea what that is, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally cool with that. Because, one day we might, and one day we might. You know, there's a temptation within. There's a temptation for us to to do what God, what Dawkins calls the God in the gap theory, and. Basically, what what he says and what other people say is when we're presented with a cosmic mystery, our default is to insert the supernatural or insert God into that. But the problem is it, it could be the it could be the supernatural. I don't know. But the problem is that when we have that preconceived notion and just insert it in, what that actually does is it blocks us from finding out what's actually going on. And say on the flip side, Dawkins says the same thing because he is of such a mind that he automatically inserts the opposite. Yes. Yeah, I think and, that's probably true. And see, the, to me, there's a difference. Okay, and to everybody, there's not a difference. But to me, there is a huge difference between theology and apologetics. Oh, God, yes. You know, and what a lot of evangelicals tend to do is they try to turn theology into apologetics. Yeah. Where we try to give an explanation for everything that we know good and well. Anybody that studies theology, the main thing you come away from after studying theology is you realize it is mostly mystery. We don't know. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you go into studying... Well, it depends on what theology, I think. You know, if you're in Protestant, systematic, Reformed theology, you walk away with some pretty firm answers. You know when God goes to bed, what he eats for breakfast. What he eats for breakfast. But no, but I think that's definitely true. True theology... Yes. And yes, I said true theology. Come at me. <laughs> you go in with with the knowledge, and whether you, whatever you do with that knowledge is your choice. Mm. That you are never going to figure God out. Mm. Yeah, and that there are so we might come at it from a different angle, mm. but the the result is the same. If we're honest individuals, to say. The vast majority of what we're going to come up against is mystery, and it's not knowable at this time. Yeah. And I'm okay with with saying, could God not be real? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, does that change how I, I live my life and... As a, as a person who believes in the divine and believes that... I kind of believe that I... I t- like, as far as being a personal being, I think the divine will be as personal as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, a, if you're the type of person that just does not want that kind of direct experience with it, 
there's no judgment, there's no fault. Yeah. And that that can just be it. But if you are somebody like the various mystics of of history, and even like myself, that finds great comfort and finds great um, meaning in having that personal, you know, relationship, for lack of a better word, yeah, with the divine, then the divine will bend in that direction. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think that if, as a non-traditional theist, I don't believe that we were created for the sole pleasure and per, and for the sole pleasure of God, and to so God would have somebody to worship it. <laughs> yeah, you know, God is such self, a narcissist. You know, and as a Trinitarian, you know, believer. I, part of that knowledge, part of that is to believe that whatever the God God is, it exists in perpetual, fulfilled relationship with itself. Mm. Therefore, it doesn't need anything to worship it mm. or to be in relationship with it, but it invites everything that it creates. Mm. Yeah. Because ultimately, we, and I even have trouble with that language because, you know, the whole idea of a theological term called perichoesis, the divine dance, mm. where it's the divine that exists in perpetual loving self relationship, but that invites you into the dance. Whereas I believe the idea of a personal God is coming to the realization that you were never not part right. of the dance. It's always been there. It's always been there. You can't yeah. exist outside of it. Yeah. I mean, I find so many of these ideas beautiful mm-hmm. and moving, and I think that... So, one of my favorite people on this planet is named Carrie Poppy, and she co-hosts the show Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie. And I think that that show... You know, I, I went through this season where I just listened to, like, every single episode, and they kind of pivoted me away from the stereotype of atheists as being, you know, n- you know, douchebags to, you know, Ross and Carrie are very kind and inquisitive and relational and still very materialistic, but they but they want to know the truth and they test these weird claims. They became Scientologists, they became Mormons, they joined, you know, fringe religious groups, they and they just have this kind of fun, playful openness to it. And she said something that was really helpful for me. And I've written about this a lot. And and it was kind of a a light bulb moment for me where she said that there's a difference between inner truth and outer truth. Inner, inner, you know, outer truth and the example she used, and I'll, I'll post the link to this in the show notes. She said, outer truth is the belief that Christ was literally raised from the dead. That is an outer truth claim that that is a claim about something that happened in the material world. And she said that, well, suddenly then that is subject to to the methodology of, of science. Um, But then there's inner truth, and inner truth is someone who says, I don't care if Christ was raised from the dead. That symbol, that story is so personally meaningful to me, and I don't care if he was raised from the dead or not. That story is what guides me. And she said that we often miscommunicate this, that that we often hold other people's inner truth to outer truth standards and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that was brilliant for me. And so when it comes to outer truth claims, I cannot go beyond the magisterium of science. But when it comes to inner truth claims, when it comes to what I hope, what I yearn for, what what resonates with me, that's all inner truth stuff. And I think a lot of people have 
inner truths that kind of bleed out and and where where so many of us live in this interstitial place between inner and outer truth where our beliefs kind of vacillate along a continuum of inner and outer truth. And so there are people for whom the resurrection is 100% an outer truth, and there are people for whom it is 100% an inner truth. But I think most people kind of live somewhat and, and flex along this continuum in the middle. And that makes conversations about faith and what is true just that much more complicated. And I and we need to be able to see that nuance. And she tells this story about a haunting that she in her house. Yeah. And and how it was this horrible horrible terrifying experience for her and it turned out it was a carbon monoxide leak. And she said the and, and it and she said that finding this out saved her life. She could have died. Yeah. from this carbon monoxide poisoning which caused her to hallucinate and caused her and all this stuff. And she and she said the words a mystery is a mystery. A mystery isn't a ghost. It could and and what I infer from that is it could be a ghost. Yeah. But it's still a mystery. <laughs> you right. know. You, you check uh this is again I I'm quoting Reiki more than I am my religion. Uh but it's just where I am at the moment. <laughs> uh Reiki is one of those healing modalities that yes it does come with a little woo woo, but at the same time Um, They're very adamant about making sure you continue to see doctors. You continue to take medication. And they even say, you know, send Reiki energy to your meds. Mm. You know, that that kind of thing. And I think that's very healthy because it's, could there be a spiritual or purely energetic reason? Yes. Could your house be haunted? Possibly. Mm. But let's check it out first. Absolutely. You know, let's let's check for gas leaks and mm. things like that. Or, you know, go to the doctor. If you actually have a tumor, you got a tumor. Mm. You know, we, is there emotional and spiritual things that could go along with that? Sure. But at the bottom line, you've got a tumor, mm. you know. And like I said, I think it goes back to, are you looking at apologetics? Are you looking at, are you trying to prove something to be true? Or are you comfortable with mystery? One of the most profound things that has always stuck with me was my ninth grade science teacher. Mm. And this is in rural Appalachia. And really, she was just quoting from the science book. It was physical science, coincidentally enough. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Science tells us the why, tells us the how. Yes, religion tells us the why. Mm, yeah, you know, we like evolution. We're just explaining how things work, how, how we've observed why it happened and how it started. We don't know. Yeah, you know." And while I think at the end of the day that it that the complete the utter complexity of the universe points to some sort of intelligence mm-hmm. sparking the whole thing, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and require everybody to believe that. Yeah. You know, because at the same time, I'm fully aware that religion has, is, and will continue to have the potential to be destructive. Yeah. We look no further than climate change. Uh, exactly. You know, but it does, they don't need to be separated. So like, for instance, if I believe in an intelligence that sparked the complex, because the universe is so complex, I believe in intelligence. But at the same time, I'm not ignoring the complexity of the fact yes. that life on Earth is due to a very precise algorithm. Mm-hmm. Numbers have the numbers of this gas, that gas, this, that, whatever have to be just right to sustain life on this planet. 
And whether I believe that that was the the work of God or the work of just some random, you know, kaboom, yeah, is ir- is it's a miracle one way or the it's other. It's a miracle one way or another, and it's also irrelevant to the discussion because we know it doesn't change the fact that these numbers are so precise that if we alter them, yeah, just a little bit, yeah, it all goes to hell mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, is science has proven. The magisterium of science is proven. And I think religion proves, because to me, all religions, paganism, the more institutionalized religions, even Christianity, when you put the sacred text in its whole context, Mm. tells us that we were called to be stewards of the created order around us, which implies that we have the ability to alter it. Yes, absolutely. And... That if we alter it too much, very bad things will happen. (laughs) Yeah. And science has proven that out, and I think religion points that out. Now, what you have the opportunity to do is, are you going to believe apologetically that, you know, God is omnipotent and ultimately in control, and nothing that we do is going to have an effect on what God does one way or the other? Or are you going to accept what science and religion both agree on is that humankind is infinitely more powerful than we could ever imagine? Mm. Mm-hmm. That we do have the ability to destroy as much as we have the ability to create. Mm. You know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Mm. So if we're created in the image of God, we always talk, you know, New Age people and theists and whatever, we always focus on that being co creative with God. Yeah, but we're also co-destructor. Absolutely, you know, because God is both. God gives and He ta- God gives and takes away. So if God is both creator and destroyer, mm. then that means we have that capacity too. Absolutely. And I don't think God. <laughs> I don't know that God is as invested in one or the other. Mm. You know, yeah. so He's leaving that up to us. You know, what I'm hearing from this, or or what I'm taking away from this is, and this is something that I come back to all the time, is while acknowledging that ideas, like I said in a previous episode with Donald, ideas are a a public health issue, Mm -hmm. you know, ideas have have consequences. Ideas do have consequences. And so what we believe does tangibly affect how we live and do have consequences on the universe. What I'm most concerned with, however, is how do people live? And do people live good, just? upright lives and that is most that's what's most important to mm-hmm. me above and beyond what people believe and so you know I I had a com- you know one of the things that I took away from my conversation with Greg Stevens who's a spokesperson for the Satanic Temple you know TST is very firmly atheistic TST is very firmly non-theistic but and very non-supernaturalist you know yeah. they they reject all claims of the supernatural but he said that you know in talking in, in in his conversations with Lucian Greaves and I'm going to mess this up but so just go back and listen to that show but he said that they get a lot of emails from people like you know we we have you know I believe in the healing power of crystals but I want to be part of your group and he said that in talking about it with Lucian Greaves who's the founder that they came to the conclusion 
that the real litmus test or the the real issue is how do you treat your neighbor? And that's and you know how how does a how does a Satanist treat his neighbor? <laughs> Which is so funny to me. I feel like Jesus said something about I feel that, like Jesus said know? something like that. He didn't seem overly concerned with the with yeah. the other stuff either. And and so you know what Greg said was really what it comes down to is how do you treat your neighbor? And that to me is also the primary concern. Less how do you less what you believe and more how do you treat your neighbor and there are and when religion does conflict with that that's when religion becomes a problem absolutely that's when bad ideas that affect how we behave that's when it becomes a problem for me but at the end of the day to me what ultimately matters is how do you treat your neighbor yeah and for me in closing (laughs) yeah you know my religion leads me to compassion and to love yes you know, and to put away things, to put away fear-based things, of which I view racism, homophobia, transphobia, phobia actually meaning fear. Yes. You know, so my religion and my faith teaches me to put those things away. Yeah. In light of seeing everybody as a, as a human being, as equally worthy of anything as I am, you know, and... To treat them as such. Yes. Because to me, that's the true mi- Love is the true miracle. Yes. The fact that humans may not be, may or may not be predisposed to altruism, the idea that altruism exists at all, to me, is a miracle. Absolutely. And the fact that we can overcome our tribal instincts. And we, can, and we have, and, and we and are we will, continuing to do we that. we will continue to do that. To the point that I think we'll evolve past it. Yeah. And yes, I use the word evolve. <laughs> You know, I I don't, at the end of the day, I think we both agree that religion or non-religion is what you make of it. Absolutely. And you can make it as hard and rigid or as enclosed or as soft and malleable and open as you want. Absolutely. And that scares a lot of people. It does. But there's also a lot of comfort in that, too, that if you come, if you're if you're raised in the hard and the unmoldable and the closed religion and your child comes out as gay, I think you can have comfort in knowing that you can make another decision. Yeah, you can change your religion. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, We are running out of time and you need to run away back to Morganton. But this has been a great conversation and I hope hope to have more conversations like this, just just good discussions, uh, good public discussions uh, and to model public conversation about, you know, contentious subjects. So anyone who disagrees with me on on some topic or anyone who who has a quibble with something that I say, please, I want to hear from you. Please send me a message. You can find me at stephenbradfordlong.com. You can send me an email there. You can also contact me on Twitter at Stephen B. Long, on Instagram at Stephen Bradford Long. I want to hear from you. And if you want to come onto the show, maybe we can do that. The music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleventy Seven. You can find their music wherever you listen to music on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else. And as usual, thanks for listening.